0: journo at stories that matter studios i'm nance haxton and this is the streets of your town the podcast that takes you on an audio journey through theater of the mind highlighting a different slice of australian life each episode today we head to brisbane the beginning of a convoy that is about to travel through the streets of many towns. We meet two returned soldiers from very different military conflicts, who both have one thing in common, post-traumatic stress. Tony Dell and Kevin Humphreys are spreading the word that PTS can affect anyone and it's not just limited to those who have experienced the horrors of combat. As Tony Dell explains.
1: Well, I was in Vietnam in 1967-68, came home, it was a dirty war um, and uh, a few years later I played um, first class cricket for Queensland, had a couple Mm -hmm. of test matches. And for 40 years um, I had post-traumatic stress disorder without knowing it and wasn't diagnosed until 2008. I then decided that uh, there was something I should be doing about this after I'd um, got uh, an army pension and, um, and wasn't allowed to work anymore uh, because of the tax implications. and. I thought well what can I do Um, because one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is you become a workaholic because it's the brain's way of coping with you know the stuff that's inside there and we're now (coughs) leaving uh, Brisbane on October 2. And, not far uh, away. No. <laughs> and travelling from um, Brisbane, but we'll go to New England this time instead of um, the Pacific Highway. We'll um, stop at um, Armidale, Dubbo. Um, we'll be um, at Bathurst for the, uh, for the race. We've got 17 stops, and uh, we'll be in Goulburn um, where the police academy is. So it's not just military, it's first responders as well. Um, and then we go into Canberra, and we've got a massive um, uh, day in Canberra with um, the ACT government putting on a civic reception for us. Um, and then um, every, uh, every day of the year, except Christmas Day, they have a last post ceremony at the uh, Australian War Memorial, and we'll be laying a wreath uh, on behalf of... Um, all the tens of thousands of um, soldiers that have died as a result of their, uh, the trauma um, that uh, impacted on them in, in their service. I mean, there's a hundred thousand plus names on the walls of those that were killed in action, but no one ever remembers those that have died um, as a result of their trauma.
0: Or is there still really a lot of ignorance as to what uh, post-traumatic stress disorder really is?
1: I I, I think. In the public arena, there's still ignorance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what we have to uh, try and cut through. I mean, our mantra is from awareness comes knowledge, mm-hmm. from knowledge comes action. So the more people we can make aware, and especially the politicians, um, you know, I think there's a few that get it, but, you know, I think PTS or PTSD is um, is one of the least understood of all the illnesses. You could have 10 different people with post-traumatic stress, but there's 10 different answers to making them better again. You know, and it's Mm. not a weakness, it's an illness, and uh, I mean, that's that's one of the things that we're trying to cut through. I mean, we'll have on the convoy with us counsellors, we'll have people from DVA, we've got uh, two or three police people that um, have been there, done that, and can talk about their resilience and how they've overcome it. Hopefully, we've got a couple of uh, ex-invictus athletes with us who, despite you know losing limbs and um, and the obvious mental scars that go with that they've come through it and uh, you know they've now represented their country in um, in sport and I mean exercise and sport is an important um, uh, way of, um, of overcoming the problems.
0: You say that you think now that you lived with it for 40 years would you hope that people who've served in active combat like you did would they be picked up a bit quicker now or? Do those symptoms still largely go unnoticed?
1: Oh uh, no, I think they get picked up. Yeah, you know, I think mm-hmm. um, you know I was talking to uh, Air Vice, uh, Vice Marshal Macdonald in Canberra last week, and uh, Strategic Health Command comes under his um, his command, and uh, he's saying, you know, we're much better at it now. You know, we get it, and um, and um, there's a lot of things in place now that uh, uh, are sort of cutting through and. Oh. But you know, there's still, there's still the people that won't um, own up. Um, we had a classic case of General John Campbell, um, who was one of our better um, commanders in Afghanistan, um, who lived with it for 15 years, and um, and didn't tell anyone. You know, and um, I've sat down with his army commander and, um, um, and who was the chief of army and Angus Houston, who was chief of defence. And they said, you know, we're very, very dirty because a we didn't pick it up, and b he didn't tell us.
0: And so it's really that's the two pronged approach, isn't it? There's yeah. got to be that support there, but also people do need to come forward. I suppose.
1: Well, that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and the hardest part, the hardest part is, um, you know, is making that first phone call or having that first conversation where you start to talk to someone, and um, and you tell them that you're struggling. And that's the first step, you know, and we're um, partnering with um, a one-man stage play called Shellshock. Okay. Which is uh, a one-man play, um, an adaptation of a book called Shellshock written by um, a British Afghanistan um, veteran. Mm. And <clears throat> I'm trying to get that staged in Parliament House in front of, you know, a whole raft of uh, federal politicians mm. so that, you know, they can see... In a rather comedic way, um, but you know, it's still fairly confronting. Um, just what happens to uh, to a person who thinks they're okay, and they're not fitting into Civilian Street. And it's not until you know you finally make that first phone call that you know something starts positive starts to happen.
0: What if there's somebody listening in who thinks, oh, yeah, maybe this could be me. What are some of those symptoms that really should be saying it's time for you to talk to someone?
1: Oh, well, it's bad dreams. Um, I mean, in my case, it was bad dreams, night sweats, grinding of teeth, um, unexplainable um, outbursts that you don't know you're doing. I mean, I still struggle a bit after these, uh, all these years in that... Uh, you know I'll say something without really knowing I've gone off and you know my son especially and um, and Sally my partner um, will, will check me and I mean it's happened but then it's gone mm. and you don't really know at times you know that you're being objectionable so I mean you become sort of a a bit of a social pariah mm-hmm. I mean you tend to sit in restaurants with your back to the wall without knowing why
0: and why is that
1: Oh, it's just, you know, so you can see around you and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's uh, there's going to be no surprises. Mm-hmm. You startle at the sound of a car backfiring mm-hmm. and sudden noises um, might uh, just startle you. People come up behind you and you don't hear them and mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden you jump. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. just just a whole range of things. You just forget how to love um, and, um, and your relationships um, suffer. But... You know, I mean, I went 40 years and I thought it was okay. And uh, uh, my wife at the time um, said, um, you know, you're just like your father, who was in the Royal Navy in, um, in World War II. And I said, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. You mm-hmm. know, and he was a grumpy old bugger. But um, it wasn't until he died and I was diagnosed that I said, hey, she was right. I'm a clone of my father. But you know, you you get rather OCD, and that's uh, one of the reasons why you know I keep on keeping on with this is Um, that uh, you just don't want to let go. I mean, you've started something, and uh, you know, I guess sometimes it's that. Of failure.
0: Tony's partner Sally Hodder is helping organise the convoy, which is proving to be a logistical exercise in itself. The convoy will wind its way through inland New South Wales to Sydney to meet up with the Invictus Games for injured servicemen and women in late October. It's part of the campaign they've dubbed Stand Tall for PTS. It's interesting
2: from my perspective, because Tony is the, he's the ideas. Mm. I mean, he's an incredibly creative person. I guess Tony, with his PTS, lots of sort of detailed type Mm. of stuff, numbers, figures, tend to be not of a great deal of interest. So I sort of pick up the slack on those sorts of things (laughs) uh, and help with the logistics. There are times (laughs) where (laughs) I think, as all, you know, women who have partners with, post-traumatic stress or have partners who suffer from you know any form of mental trauma we all live with those moments where you know we think we could kill them but uh, (laughs) a bit like children I guess there are times where we all think oh gosh if only I could give them back but
0: um is there an important message there I suppose for for women as well because I think in many ways PTSD is really still seen as mainly a men's issue
2: would that be right is that something really that needs to be broken down I think definitely it mm. does because I think PTS for so long has been you know you say PTSD to somebody a post traumatic stress mm. disorder and they go oh military I mean that's just the, the simple reality of it and that sadly is so wrong it's so much more than that and it It affects women in huge numbers in Australia and throughout the world. You know, PTSD affects victims of crime, victims of abuse. um, And we just have to think of, sadly, the level of domestic violence in this community of ours. And there are loads of women out there with post-traumatic stress as a result. And, you know, part of what we are striving to do is to raise this awareness factor, to, to to let people out there know that it affects everybody. And the person sitting next to you on the bus, as you listen to this <laughs> podcast, could well be one of those people.
0: Kevin Humphreys knows all too well about the havoc post-traumatic stress can have on your life and those who love you, but it took him years to acknowledge that burden after returning from service in Afghanistan he's determined that no one else should suffer as long as he did.
3: I had 20 years in the Army flying Black Hawk and Chinook helicopters and now about uh, 8 years in the emergency services, so flying uh, search and rescue and uh, and you know, what's called EMS, emergency medical services.
0: And are you still doing that now?
3: Yeah, yeah so mm. I still fly, um, so um, now I'm now a training and checking pilot, uh, mm. so I do flight, training and instruction and assessments uh, as well as fly the fly the line it's called so do the operational flying between three bases uh, Archerfield Townsville and Cairns
0: so you've had a lifetime of flying really
3: yeah basically i i left high school joined the army uh, got selected for pilot's course and uh, and still going 20-something years later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and your involvement here, of course, with uh, the, the PTSD, the, the Convoy. So on the big launch day, we'll be having a chopper flying down right near where we are now, here at West Rugby Union Club.
3: Yeah, that's right. The Convoy is all about raising awareness around mental illness and mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress for veterans and emergency services. And, uh, and I, I sit in all three camps as a veteran, as a member of the emergency services and someone who has uh, had mental illness as a part of their life.
0: Can you tell us a bit about that and how how you came to grips with that, a bit about your journey?
3: Yeah, so, uh, so I've had lots of deployments in the, in the military, Iraq, uh, East Timor and Afghanistan and I uh, fell in a heap in 2008 uh, mm. after, after my last one and it was a, a culmination of a, a whole heap of things undiagnosed post-traumatic stress for about five years as well as depression, anxiety and unfortunately a bit of workplace bullying which mm. was really the icing on the cake. And When I, I fell in a heap I was contemplating suicide mm. and you know, got to the point of, of having a breakdown and although I got back to work after about nine months I, uh, I kept it a secret mm. and it wasn't until mid 2015 that I finally spoke publicly about it for the first time through some coaching and whatnot that I had, the end result of all that is, yeah, the uh, the rescue helicopter from Brisbane Rescue Five Hundred uh, is going to be landing here at the West Rugby Club as part of the launch day on the thirtieth.
0: So I suppose is that part of your what what you're doing here too is encouraging people that you can and should talk about it, and also that you know that there is something after diagnosis. You know that you're you're back at work, you're able to continue once you work through that difficult time.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I realised in mid-2015 that the secret I was keeping was actually keeping me. And and with that realised that I was surviving day to day, yes I was at work and yes you know I was still living and breathing but I I wasn't actually enjoying life, far, far from it. So the message really is to get out there, accept it, it was a big thing for me that I hadn't accepted Mm -hmm. that I'd had a breakdown and and therefore I was still denying it. until we accept where we're at on any given day then we can't actually get on with our lives and and since talking about it publicly i'm now doing it more and more and more Um, and the the response from folks is is pretty amazing particularly for men and particularly for people in uniform we seem to identify who we are by what we do and and I find that a lot of people really get wrapped up in that, and, and I say particularly men, rather than realising that what we do is is nothing more than a reflection of who we are, and uh, and the, the sooner we realise that, then the more fulfilling our lives are.
0: It sounds like it's been a real release for you to be able to speak about your story after holding on to it for so
3: long. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I, when I when I spoke about it for the first time, I I'm not kidding. I felt 20 kilos lighter and about 20 centimetres taller. Mm. It was just liberating. Mm. And the response from people coming up, again, the majority of them with men, were men with tears welling in their eyes, saying, "Your story's like mine, mate. I just haven't got the guts to talk about it yet." And you know, another time, I had someone come up to me and, and say, "You know, thank you. You just give me permission to talk about my divorce." You know, and um, that had nothing to do with the military. It, it was a, it, it was not a veteran or an emergency services fellow who came up and said that. Uh, it was just someone who resonated with you know, going through a tough time and not being willing to talk about it uh, and, and realising that when they do start talking about it that life will get a lot better for them. When you're going through it, when you're in the depths of it, you think you are the only person that has these issues and, you're the, and that no-one else will understand what it is you're going through. Um, and and despite the differences, whether it's in service, or military or emergency services, the type of service, the, 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 the event that led to it, in in many cases, what led to to my uh, breakdown and contemplating suicide wasn't the bullets, wasn't the rockets, wasn't the trauma. Uh, it was a whole bunch of other things behind the scenes. Uh, you know, I, I dreaded putting one of my men or women into a, a casket when I was deployed. Mm. That that weighed on me every single time I went to sleep. Uh, and you know, so. So it's different for everybody, mm-hmm. and and yet there are very common threads that run through every story and every person, and and it's that commonality that everybody can relate to. You just can't see it at the time when you're at the depths. But mm-hmm. it's the
0: what are some of those common threads? Would you say?
3: Um, first of all, that the the person doesn't believe that they are worthy. No. They don't believe that their story is worthy. They don't believe that they are worthy.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, you know. One of the things for me is that I thought that uh, here was I, a veteran of a modern battlefield, that was nowhere near as tough as what Tony endured in mm-hmm. Vietnam or what our, you know, Malaya, Borneo vets or World War Two, World War One. Why am I not handling this? How come I get to stick my hand up and, and ask for help? That's not fair on them, you know. And and again, that is a very common theme that you mm-hmm. see running through that that feeling that. You're not worthy, or that your stories. Particularly not for
0: recently returned veterans, do you think yeah. like yourself? Yeah, absolutely.
3: Mm. Yeah, very much so. Mm. You know, when I wore a green uniform, I knew when I was going to a war zone. The the men and women of you know police, fire, and ambulance, SES, they go to their war zone, mm. so to speak, every time they go to work. Mm. Uh, they don't know what kind of what kind mm. of trauma, what kind of event that they're going to end up in that day, and. They need all the support they can get as well as our veterans. So, you know, there's I don't think there'd be many people in Brisbane or many people in the country who haven't got at least a first or second order connection to somebody who serves in one uniform or another. So, you know, this really applies to everybody.
0: That was Afghanistan veteran Kevin Humphreys speaking to us from West Rugby Union Club in Brisbane, where the stand Tall for PTS Convoy will take off from on September 30.